Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, the federal government has tabled its new emissions reduction plan as required under the net zero emissions law passed last year. It projects the oil and gas industry will need to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 42% by the end of the decade from current levels. Agriculture accounts for about 10% of that total, and the challenge will be to reduce that to net zero by the year 2050. Brandon Leslie with the Grain Growers of Canada says his organization will be working with the federal government to meet those targets without impacting producer profitability. He will share the path forward, focusing on innovation, research and beneficial management practices. This is the second year of a summer program to give veterinary students more experience working with pigs. It's supported by industry and is open to first and second year students in the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Dr. John Harding is a professor in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Services. He'll share more about the program and what they hope to accomplish. After the break, Brandon Leslie. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Brandon Leslie is the Grain Growers of Canada, Manager of Policy and Government Relations, and he's with us to talk about the GGC's plan to work towards the federal government's target on reducing emissions. Brandon, just explain for us what work is being done now to deal with some of those tough targets that have been established by Ottawa. We know there's going to be a chapter on agriculture in that. We do represent a portion of emissions in this country, so we won't be the sole focus. But I think it's really important that farmers are able to speak government language when dealing with these issues. And at the end of the day, the Ottawa knows best approach isn't what's going to work for farmers. You know, there can be ideas that come out of this Ottawa bubble that that just aren't applicable in the farm. So we we feel that farmers are best placed to really talk about what can practically uh, be done, uh, what's achievable, what are additional ideas that might not have been thought of by government, and, you know, ultimately, we're going to need to protect the productivity of farmers and profitability of farmers. So I think the key of today is that farmers are not only at the table, we want to be on the leading edge of this conversation. Do you think that incentives will encourage the adaptation of carbon-reducing technologies or practices in agriculture? Farmers are constantly embracing new technology. And that part of our story is a, is a proud history of constant sustainability. You know, year over year, farmers are always thinking about the next year, how to protect their land and water and pass on to the next generation. So sustainability is just always part of this. I think farmers have been acting sustainably far longer than that term has been around. But we do need to be forward-looking here. We need to recognize that, uh, like I said, whether we like it or not, government is going to be moving forward with policies and programs that are aimed at achieving that goal. And certainly over Regulation is is not something that I think farmers certainly appreciate. And incentives are arguably a much better approach. So that's certainly going to be a a key piece of this uh, and trying to identify what those incentives need to be for adoption of of new beneficial management practices or new technologies or, or, you know, whatever measures might be taken that that make sense on the ground that need to be driven by farmers. We need to really have a, a strong grasp and government needs to have a strong grasp of what will work and what will not. And I would say incentives are absolutely a part of that. Now, I understand that the first step is to find partners and establish a scientific advisory committee before getting into any of the fine details. 
We don't want this to be just a two-page document of here's some ideas, go do these government. I think there's a level of detail required. So over the next several months, we're going to be uh, working on that. We're going to be striking a an expert advisory body. So uh, we're hoping realistically towards the end of the year is when we're going to come out with a, what we hope to be a thorough list of recommendations and an earnest willingness to work with government in trying to pursue how best to implement a lot of these things. You know, these aren't simple programs and policies that are undertaken and they should be well thought out. You know, farmers uh, at times aren't always invited to that table early enough. And I think this shows that farmers are, are willing to do our parts. But at the end of the day, government has a role to play in this. They want farmers to take on certain uh, actions. We need to be involved. It's going to be important for any new technology to be both cost effective and improve or at least not hurt production. I think that's what farmers are really looking for. Again, new technologies emerging as far as slow release fertilizers, things like that, that are an added cost to farmers. It's a difficult pill to swallow to add a cost to do something that doesn't necessarily increase your yield. So I think it's a matter of putting hand in hand the productivity requirements for Canada to, to feed itself uh, and, a, and a growing world population, while simultaneously doing what's right for the environment and trying to reduce those emissions. And again, part of this project that we've just announced is looking at those, and, and particularly from the perspective of a farmer. He or she knows, knows best what is going to work on uh, his or her farm. There's such variability of a lot of these practices across the country. So a government's uh, countrywide approach, well, that's one thing, but we need to think about some of the regional tailoring required on some of these programs and think long and hard if it's, if it's good for a farm's profitability in certain parts of the country or, or if it's not. How do we move forward with solutions that ultimately make sense for farmers, both in terms of their productivity, profitability, and emission reductions more broadly? Brandon Leslie is with the Grain Growers of Canada talking about its Road to 2050 Net Zero Emissions Initiative. And it was encouraging to see Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo having a positive reaction, retweeting the Grain Growers of Canada announcement. After the break, Dr. John Harding on a program that is encouraging engagement of veterinary medicine, particularly in the swine sector. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. There is a special program at the University of Saskatchewan looking for ways to recruit graduate veterinarians into swine practice, whether it be corporate production, a swine specialty practice, or simply a mixed animal food animal practice. Dr. John Harding is a professor in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Services. John, tell us about this program uh, that's trying to encourage involvement in working with pigs. Exposing students to pigs early in the veterinary program is critical to recruiting swine veterinarians. From my own observations, we know that students who enter swine practice most often have had positive and hands-on experience with swine, either from growing up on a pig farm or having worked on a farm during a summer or a positive uh, work experience with swine veterinarians while growing up. And we all know that pigs have such a unique personality that sometimes they just become addictive. Because this early exposure is so important for recruitment, setting up an experience program has really been on the back of my mind for for many years. Now, this is a 12-week placement program which runs from the beginning of May until the end of July. Can you tell us more about it? If they have no or limited experience, they will spend four of the 12 weeks working on farms. 
And the other eight weeks of the summer are spent working with the animal health team at the host business. For students who have more extensive pig experience from either previous jobs or growing up on a farm, the four-week production work in barns may be replaced with a more extensive research project, and we would encourage them then to present their results at the WCVM Research Poster Competition in September. Now, John, explain the three main areas of focus for this program. During their four weeks of production experience in barns, they are expected to work and learn from farm techs and herd persons during their daily activities, such as breeding and farrowing and processing baby pigs and vaccinating and moving pigs, all all those things, as well as maybe get some insight into barn management and human resource challenges. When they're working with the animal health team, during that other eight weeks of the program, that could be swine vets or vet techs or quality assurance personnel, uh, they're expected to be involved in regular barn herd health visits, you know, quality assurance and other audits, maybe diagnostic investigation or disease outbreaks and other production or vet meetings. Now, I understand that the summer placement program started very small in year one, but uh, it has grown in year two. We had one student participate in 2021 who will be returning for a second placement with a different host business this year. We also have three new students who are looking forward to their first placement this summer. Our host vet businesses are across the prairies in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, and I'm pretty satisfied with what we've accomplished so far early in the program, but acknowledge that it may take several more years to gauge the ultimate success of the program in terms of our ability to encourage and recruit vets into swine practice. Dr. John Harding is a professor in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Services at the University of Saskatchewan. It's time for the Agriculture News and Review for the week of March 28, 2022. The Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance unveiled a new set of priorities and a refreshed brand. President Dan Darling said the update will help to accelerate Canada through the pandemic with increased market access and free trade and reflects the global nature of Canada's agriculture and agri-food sector. Priorities include trade talks, upholding the rules-based trading system, and strengthening the collaboration between industry and government. A new report from Farm Credit Canada said the Canadian food manufacturing industry experienced a boom in 2021. According to the annual food report, food manufacturing sales increased almost 15% last year and is expected to jump 7.4% this year. The report shared insights and analysis on several food sectors, including grain and oil seed milling, dairy, meat, bakery, vegetable and specialty foods. A class action lawsuit had been filed against the largest beef suppliers in Canada for allegedly conspiring to restrict competition and raise prices on beef sold in Quebec. The lawsuit alleged various companies related to Cargill, JBS Canada, Tyson Food and National Beef Packing acted together to restrict competition related to the production, supply or sale of beef in the province since January 1st, 2015. The lawsuit, which still has to be certified by a judge, is seeking financial compensation equivalent to revenues generated by the artificially inflated portion of selling prices. 
The plaintiffs said the meatpacking plants control 85% of the Canadian beef market and 80% of the U.S. market. The Canadian Cattlemen's Association elected its new leadership team at its annual meeting. The new president is Reg Schellenberg of Saskatchewan, while Nathan Finney of New Brunswick was elected vice president. Schellenberg takes over from Bob Lowe of Alberta, who now moves into the past president's role. The CCA also welcomed new board members Doug Roxburg, Melissa Downing and Brad Osichuk from Alberta, Philip Lynn from Saskatchewan and Jason LeBlanc of Ontario. Federated Co-op announced a new online platform and brand. Co-op AgZone is a digital agronomy tool to provide a simpler way to collect, share and interpret data for farmers and local Co-op Grow team members. With the tool, farmers can consolidate all their data together in one place, including crop plans, planting and yield records, remote imagery, soil information and more. Co-op Grow team members can add and analyze the data and analytics to examine yields, calculate returns and determine adjustments for the season ahead. The AgZone field is designed to consolidate data from different sources and evaluate results to enable decisions to optimize yields. All data is encrypted and remains under the ownership of the farm customer. The British Columbia Agriculture Ministry is ending the COVID-19 quarantine program for temporary foreign workers. It will keep a different program for another year to support self-isolation to curb the spread of the disease. The employer must ensure federal quarantine requirements are met for unvaccinated or partially vaccinated workers. The Dumore Agriculture Foundation announced the election of Lauren Martin as the new board chair. For the past several years, Martin worked for various agricultural trade associations in Ottawa and is a lawyer. She takes over from co-founding member Himansu Singh. Canada will host an international conference on plant-based food. Protein Industries Canada CEO Bill Gruel said Plant Forward will highlight Canada's worldwide reputation and brand. The event will have speakers, panels and interactive sessions that highlight sustainability, supply chain, tech convergence and how each can be applied through innovation, investment and research and development. PIC, Pulse Canada and Plant-Based Foods of Canada are hosting the event November 1st and 2nd in Toronto. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.